This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is risen. If you have your Bible, open it up. We're going to go into Psalm 16. Uh, And the reason we're going to go into the psalm is we're going to kind of connect together pieces uh, of the puzzle. It's not a puzzle that God didn't want you to know. It's one he actually put out there wide open. But today we're going to bounce through a few different places in the scripture to see how on Easter it all fits together. So Psalm 16, verse 1 and 2 is where we're going to begin, right there at the start of this psalm. This is a psalm of David, and as David writes, he's living in his own time. David is living hundreds of years before Jesus is born but he knows of the promise of Messiah. He knows that there is one who is going to come, that in the scriptures God said there would be a person to set things right. So in the midst of the challenges around him, he wrote these words, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. For David, it was only in the Lord that he had strength, and there was no other place for him to go. On Good Friday, as we gathered, Our congregation was reminded of a different psalm, Psalm 31. It's the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross when he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And we talked about what it meant to be in someone's hands. Whose hands are we placing ourselves in? But this morning, I don't just want to talk about whose hands are you placing yourself into, but once you're in someone's hands, who's watching out for you? See, it's one thing just to lean back. We've all probably at least seen trust falls, right? This is all like, whether or not you've actually been the person who says to try it first, to do the lean back, you know, now they've done this in corporations too. You know, people you may or may not like to work with, like, now you'll let Tommy hold you. Like, I don't even know this guy in the cubicle next to me. Now I'm supposed to fall back into his arms? Well, there's all these trust falls and different things. So who is it that we are actually not just putting ourselves into their hands, but then who's watching over us? See, we want to look at the rest of the story this morning, not just whose hands are we in, but who's watching out for us. So we have King David who sets for us this picture of who's watching him. He says that there's nothing good apart from you, speaking of the Lord. Now, a lot of us have attempted to do guarding in different ways. We've tried that maybe it's the better career, maybe it's the better car, maybe it's, oh, finally, I've switched my retirement accounts just in time before this little market correction, and I got it all right, and I got it right. Or some of you are sitting there going, I didn't switch mine, and I didn't get it right. Well, the question of who is guarding us and who's sitting there, well, David continues for us in verse 4, and he says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Sometimes we forget that in David's day, the rest of the world wasn't all worshiping God. They were worshiping God's little g, lots of people. This morning is all of Apex in this room. Are they all in sanctuaries throughout this city and surrounding cities? No. Lots of people are doing the same thing they did in King David's day, chasing after other ways to be guarded. And they are actually truly convinced, if you ask them, that they believe what they're doing is beneficial. I mean, there's a few, I understand, there's a few weird apples who are like, I know what I'm doing is going to destroy me, but I just can't stop it. But most people actually believe what they're doing is actually helpful. This is why they do it. This is the struggle at times when you try to correct someone and say, well, maybe you do it this way. They actually think what they're doing is right. David writes and says, that was happening in my day too. I mean, this is King David propelling forward to us 
more than a millennia later, and you say, hey, church of 2018, did you know people were chasing other dreams in my day too? Listen again, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Now, to King David in this day, it meant if you offered a sacrifice. Now, this is foreign to us because we have an altar that reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice. But just in case those of you who are new to our congregation, we have never spilled blood on this altar. We, I've never brought a goat in. I've never brought in a pigeon. We've never had a burnt sacrifice, though I realize burnt sacrifice, the theater would have their own opinions about us actually doing a burnt offering here. I've been told by the fire code exactly what fire codes we have to live in. Uh, but just in that, it hasn't been done. But in King David's day, that was what they knew. So when it says, I will not pour their drink offerings, I will not pour out, man, you've been cut off. There's no offering that's going to get you back. I'm not looking for your blood. Your blood won't fix this. And that your name isn't going to come out on their lips. At the sunrise service, I was joking a little about this and, and kind of talking about names. Some of us were born in and we just loved our name. Like you heard your name and you're like, love it. Other people, sometimes it takes time to kind of love your name. Now, whether or not you're on a love it right away or I'm still growing to love my name, could you imagine if no one ever said your name again? See, that's a very different setting. King David is saying, your name won't even be on the lips of God. If you're chasing someone else, th- there's, there is no maker of heaven and earth who is looking out for you. You have attached yourself to a foreign God. You've attached yourself to one who has no power, and God is not looking to you. So who is it that is guarding us? Who is it that's looking out for us? Well, we're going to continue into this psalm a little bit deeper. And as we get to verse 5, David says, the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. He says, Lord, I'm giving it to you. You're the one guarding me. Now, some of you are sitting there going, this is weird. This is Easter. Where's my, like, exciting Easter text? I expect an Easter text. Oh, it's coming. Because Psalm 16 is more of an Easter text than you probably know. Many of you probably didn't wake up this morning going, Psalm 16, that's where we're going to be. But I assure you, by the time this sermon is over, you will go, Psalm 16, David knew what he was doing because the Lord knew what he was putting on David's heart. So David says that I am going to have all of my trust. I will be completely guarded in the Lord so that this Lord will actually provide counsel. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. That the Lord would actually guide us and give us a path. Later in the Psalms, we hear what? Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path that we actually read from the Scripture. We actually have this book open. Why? Because this book actually guides us. This is crazy for people outside of this room, but this book we hold, actually God has given to us so that we might understand more fully a world that around us sometimes leaves me going, whoa, why is that happening? Whether you watch the news, avoid the news, look at social media or avoid social media, you're probably all doing it for the same thing. Either you want to get away from what's happening or you want to try to figure out what's happening. We all respond differently, but some of us just want to dig in deeper to figure it out. Others just want to step back and say, I don't know what to do. Well, David stepped into something else. David stepped in and said, Lord, I'm stepping deeper into you because you alone can provide me comfort in the midst of you are my guard. You are my shield. So if the counsel of the Lord is the steadfast place on which David goes, it's then in verse 8 and 9 that we start to make our turn towards Easter in a very powerful way. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. 
I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Any fleshy people here today? Yeah, a couple of you are like, I don't know how to answer that. If you have skin, you are fleshy. <laughs> You're like, oh, got it. David's saying he trusted his entire body to the Lord, and he knew he was safe. There are some in this room right now who are curious what a doctor is going to say to them on Tuesday morning. There are others who are very curious what's going to be said next Wednesday, because that's when you're finally getting your report read on something that's happening even in your life or your mother's life or a neighbor's life or someone else's, and you've been praying over those test results, and you're just, Lord, I hope you'd give it. Well, I hope that in the midst of praying for the test results, you'd also understand what David knew. You're still resting secure now. That right now, at this moment, you're all right. Sometimes we give doctors too much credit. (laughs) Doctors do wonderful and amazing things. I'm not trying to undercut the doctor profession. If there's a doctor I've never met before, he's in here, he's like, I can't stand this pastor. He just undercut my profession. I'm not. I just want you to realize that doctors can't stop death, but they can slow it. And they can help you rest in the midst of challenges. There is only one who can actually sit there, only one in whom can guard you so that in the midst of the challenge you're facing, you'd have counsel. Human beings can give you lots of advice, but only the Lord can actually settle you. David knew that. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. See, what Easter morning is about is actually understanding God has it all under control. If you were to go back to Mark 16, verse 8, and just stay here in the Psalms. Don't worry, I just want to paint that picture of the women. The women, as they go to the tomb, listen again to verse 8. Because this is not a picture of things under control. This is a picture of things out of control, which is a weird text for Easter, is it not? How are things out of control on Easter? The concluding verse of our reading this morning, and they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Happy Easter. See, even in all the marketing we have now, people have forgotten in marketing, Easter for the first Easter was kind of what? Yeah, scary. I mean, dare I say it, it's a little creepy. If you go out to see someone you mourn, to go set things on their grave, and you find out their grave is not only open, but the body's gone. Now, I know I have seen many people be laid to rest in my own family. And I watched as tears ran down faces as I watched caskets of grandparents get lowered into the ground. But not once did we ever go back to that grave because we found out someone had stolen the casket or stolen their remains. Now, I know you know the rest of the Easter story, but if you miss out on what's really happening to the women, verse 8 won't make sense. They heard one person say, oh, it's going to be all right. They're going, yeah, all right, he's gone. It was already bad. It seems to have gotten worse. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. A lot of churches like, oh, just invite people to Easter, have them here. This is great. This is the best thing. Doesn't this read a lot more like the church? And they said nothing to anyone. A lot of us are scared. See, there's a lot of our church in North America, in the world, right in that text. We're afraid to say something about Easter because we might offend someone because they go to a different church. They, they went to the early service. They went to the sunrise service. They go to the church down the street. I'm not sure if I can say Jesus because maybe that's not the God that they worship. Even though I know King David said that if they're worshiping someone else, they're going to fall apart. But I don't want to do it because I might offend them. Even though my faith says I'm not offending them, I'm offering them eternal life. Somehow offending them briefly in this physical life is better than actually giving them eternal life. Offering that to them. 
because we are so worried about our physical body. This is why Psalm 16, when David writes, he says, my flesh dwells secure. You're actually all right. Yet we are still worried to speak. And a lot of you, when you hear the women being bewildered and not talking, you're like, yeah, well, that was them. I would have I just shouted it out. I'd have been like, see, he's raised from the dead. We knew it. It's just like that hymn I've sang all my life. <laughs> yeah, some of you just realized that hymn wasn't written at that point. They had never sung the hymn. Jesus Christ is risen today. Had not, like that is not something they just like bursted out into a chorus from great hymns. They were left worried. So how is it then that they could have connected the dots? Well, I want to propel you to another place. And we're going to do some weird thing on Easter. You guys ready? We're going to Pentecost. We're going to leap right to Pentecost. And we're leaping to Pentecost because it's on another day. It's on Pentecost when Peter is gathered before the people, that he speaks to them. And remember, in Mark 16, we were told that Jesus said, I'm going to go and I will appear to the apostles and to Cephas, Peter. So this is the same Peter who in Acts 2 says these words. And just listen, I want you to turn there. I just want you to hear it. Because right in the middle of the reading, we're going to read from Psalm. Anyone want to guess it? 16. Because that's what Peter uses on Pentecost. He uses Psalm 16 to piece everything together about who Jesus is. He begins in this way. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then right in the middle of his sermon, this is what follows in verse 25. For David says concerning him, and now he quotes David directly from Psalm 16, to preach to people on who Jesus is on Pentecost, this is where Peter goes. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. That's what Peter uses. He uses David, who centuries before was speaking about Jesus. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, "Mm, I don't quite see the connection yet to Jesus, but I like that he quoted Psalm 16. Don't worry, my favorite thing about the scriptures, just keep reading them. They unlock stuff for you. So as it continues to unlock, we're going to hear it go further. But listen now so you can see it. This is 10 and 11. Just listen again to how he uses this, that Christ is guarding all people. This is David speaking in Psalm 16 that this Messiah, the promised one, he doesn't yet know fully the story of wise men coming and Mary and Joseph. He doesn't know that. He just knows one's coming. He spoke this, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is another word for hell or Hades. Uh, It is actually a direct rendering out of how it's used in the Hebrew. So in this case, this translation just keeps Sheol. If you're wondering what that is, they're just keeping it, trying to keep true uh, to the original language, just rather than uh, anglicize it, if you will. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy ones see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Again, you see this repetition of what the scriptures are doing. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now we start seeing some things connecting. We've connected one or two pieces, but we've got more to do. How many of you are symphony people or have tickets to see symphonies or have ever been to a symphony or even heard the word symphony? Just trying to bring everybody in. 
Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Most of you came on just like you've heard of the word symphony. So I'll have to do a little background work just so we all understand what a symphony is. It's a whole bunch of instruments all playing together, which just if you don't know this, who all play in different keys, which means they actually write their music differently. They have different sharps and flats. It all has to be blended together. It's amazing to really think how symphonies are written. Now, for some of you, when it comes to symphonies, you might really like the fast parts or like presto, the things that are just kind of moving. Like you might like kind of the fast rolling piece. You just love that. And others, man, you just love adagio sections. Just kind of, it just kind of mellows out and you can sit there and your mind can just paint the pictures that the composer had in mind. And then there are others in this room who love music so much, you know that composers, as they do it, they, they will have themes. And whether it's in the fast section or the slow section, the themes will kind of appear. And they'll, they'll pop up in the fast, they'll pop up in the slow, but they're all set there. Well, this morning, what we actually see of Psalm 16, what we see of Mark 16, what we see in 1 Corinthians, it's a symphony. You see, God actually has everything in control. You're guarded by the Lord, and he just wants you to see, I've got it all figured out. And I want you, by reading the scriptures, to see where it all actually connects together. You see this Genesis to Revelation thing? <laughs> it's not 66 different stories. It's 66 different books, and yes, we've neatly bound it. This is something we love to do. Welcome to the Western world. Like Our gift to Christianity is what? We'll codify it and put a binding on it so it looks nice and neat. And then we'll never open it. Isn't that sad? Think of all the people you know who have Bibles in their house that are really nice and neat, but they've never cracked the binding. The number of people I know have said, hey, I'm just going to try reading uh, the Bible. And they read to Genesis, and they get to Exodus, and they're excited. And then they, yeah, then they hit Leviticus, and they shut it down. <laughs> yeah, they're done. Well, it doesn't read quite like Genesis to Revelation. It actually reads Christ in the center and everything else ushers out from it. You see, the reason we're looking at Genesis to Revelation this morning is because in Christ you see all the stories fitting together. You see the symphony playing out before us. Now, I told you we'd start to piece it together in greater ways. We're going to continue the Pentecost sermon. I know, here we are on Easter in a Pentecost sermon. What are we doing? We're connecting dots. Peter wrote this. As he spoke about David's hope, Peter connects that dot of what David was up to. Acts 2, verse 29 to 32. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. He's just naming out the truth here. You want to find David's grave? Boom, they knew where it was. You could go see it. He's in the ground. He continues, though, that he was both died and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being, therefore, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would be set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God raised up. Of that, we are all witnesses. You see, on the Pentecost sermon, what happens there that sometimes we may overlook is you actually have Peter saying David knew Jesus would rise. If you wonder, is resurrection there in the Old Testament? Yes, Psalm 16, it's all over it. Why? Because Acts 2 lets us know that's what David was up to. He said that Jesus would not go down to Hades. He would not go to Sheol. So when you see the creed and it says he descended into hell, he goes into hell how? In victory. He doesn't go to hell to suffer. When he said on the cross, it's finished, it was literally finished. He just goes down into hell to proclaim to Satan, in case you didn't get the memo, Satan, it's over. And it's going to get worse for you because I'm coming again. And when I come again, I'm going to set it all right. We are guarded in our Lord's hands. And the scriptures give us this beautiful symphony that show us how everything is interconnected. 
And it is my prayer, whether you attend another church or whether you're looking for a church home or this is your church home, that you continue with us to embrace that word. It's not something you do once. I was blown away the first time I heard it, and I say it all the time now. The Bible is not meant to be read. It's meant to be reread and reread and reread. We are to read, learn, and inwardly digest. Some of you are still hung up on the fact that our pastor said, don't read the Bible. I know it. It was weird the first time I heard it too. And then it sunk in on me, and I realized, yeah, God works through his word every single time. So on this morning, I pray that you, along with David, might rejoice that the path of life is known to you, and you are guarded in the Lord's hands, and that God's promises are new every morning, and you, along with the church triumphant, the church on earth, sometimes called the church militant, would remember a threefold truth. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And just so you know it, it's a good truth to know. Let's try it together. Christ has died, Christ will come again. And some of you thought maybe I was going to repeat it and you'd repeat it. So I'll just do it together now in one voice so we have this real neat, bolsterous environment to us. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.